Matthew chapter 21, verse 5 says, Tell the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So we see here that not only did he come in on a donkey, but he came on, on a, a young one. He didn't even go get the biggest, baddest one. He just got just one, a baby one. Because here we see his humility because he says, everything you hear me saying is what my father said to do. So from the beginning, Jesus teaches us the power of humility. Pastor Martin is kicking off his new sermon series, The King Who Saves. Today's word is the king and his kingdom. Let's dive a little deeper into this in Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 38, and listen as Pastor Martin explains. We're gonna be looking at the, one of our 30 essentials, the 30 essential salvation. That 30 essential says, I believe a person comes into right relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So as we look at this, this, this series this month, we, we want to talk about the kingship of Christ, but we also want to speak to the fact that he is not just the king who came looking for something. He came bearing gifts because he is the king who saves. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is given the title, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The title indicates that someone who has, someone bearing this title has the power to exercise absolute dominion over all that is under his domain. In his case, all of creation. When we think about this idea of Jesus being king of kings and lord of lords, it, it tells us that when it's all said and done, he will abolish all other rulership because he will be the one who will be the king of all. The one who will reign supreme. But it's key to understand that yes, he is the king of kings and lord of lords, but he is also the savior and the redeemer of the world. He established this and accomplished this through his entering into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and coming as a lamb that was being led to the slaughter. Fully aware of what was happening, but yet coming intentionally and specifically that he may offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. Because we must understand when we look back, we see how at multiple times in Jesus' ministry teaching, there was a mob that came together to try and assassinate him. But he didn't come to be assassinated, he became to be sacrificed. So ultimately, as we see him coming in, he's coming riding as a king, but coming as a lamb, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, when Jesus began his ministry 
three years prior, he preached that the kingdom of God was near. He told the people again and again, the kingdom of God is near you. Then at some point he was asked to define what that meant and he explained to them that the kingdom was not just things that you, would, you can observe because the kingdom of God is amidst you or among you. What he was trying to convey is that this may be something that you cannot see outwardly initially, but you will see or experience inwardly, and thus it will be demonstrated outwardly. Because ultimately they were used to kings coming in with great fanfare, wanting to garner excitement about them because of the splendor of their entourage and all of their wealth being on display. But this king came riding in on a donkey. What kind of king is this? Who comes in with the intent of reigning, but does not come in with all of the fanfare of others. And he is the king of kings. So when we see here, that we have the blessed assurance to know that when we accept this king as our Lord and our Savior, we have the blessing of the gift that he came to give, eternal life. The beauty that I see in a king in clothing that is not kingly, on a beast that is not kingly. The beauty that I see is that he was humble enough to submit himself to death, even the death of the cross. So as we go further in our lesson today, the key that we must understand is that part of what Jesus was doing was coming to declare the gospel message. The gospel message is the good news that we no longer have to be slaves to our sin, but that we can have freedom and be set free by the sacrifice of our king. So this reality that we have, I'm, I'm going to share in Christ, I want to share four observations to help to convey the essence of this king who saves. Because today we want to talk about the king and his kingdom. The first observation today is that he is the savior king. He is the savior king. When we look at what it says, look at verse number 38. It says, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. See, as they were, one of the things that when you look at some of the other gospels, you'll find that a part of this time was a scattering of their clothing on the road where he was riding. 
Now, this is important because the people there would have been recalling back to mind how kings were to be treated as they came in. If you look in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, you see an example of King Jehu as he's coming in to, to, to reign. He comes in and the people are laying their clothes on the road. Because those folks that were there, they were thinking that Jesus was coming in to come in and take over and to restore Israel back to his prominent place, to take down Rome and the Roman Empire. But what they didn't know is that his plan was bigger than Rome because he was coming to take down death, hell, and the grave. So when we understand how they were responding, they may or may not have known exactly why he was coming, but they did know that they should treat him like a king. So they were laying their clothing and branches down on the road. The next thing is that they begin to shout, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. This is recorded in all three of the other gospels. Each one of them records this expression of Hosanna. But it's important to understand, we look at Matthew chapter 20, 21, verse 9, it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When we look at Mark chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then John says, they took branches of palms, trees, and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. As they all begin to shout, and they were shouting, Hosanna. The reality that we find is that there were, there's two primary meanings for Hosanna. They're shouting Hosanna to him. And important enough that each of the other three Gospels record this, that they shouted Hosanna, but there's a couple things to note about this word Hosanna. First is, this echoes the praise that we see in Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Psalm 118, 25 and 26 says, Save now, O Lord, I pray. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have, he, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. So we see that, this, that, that part of this meaning of Hosanna was a praise to him. Because as you look back in the text, you see that they, they were blessing him for what they had seen him do. So they shout Hosanna in praise of what they'd seen him already do. However, Hosanna is oftentimes translated as please save us. It is a Greek word that most scholars believe is a transliteration of two Hebrew words, Yasha, which means to save or to deliver, and Anna, which means please, I beseech you. So whether they knew it or not, they were crying out, save us, Jesus, while they were also praising him because of what they'd seen him do. But literally they know they would have to praise him even more for what he was getting ready to do. The beauty of 
Hosanna is that as we understand, they were shouting Hosanna, treating him as a king, laying their, their, their clothing and, and the palm branches down on the road. They were shouting, but they were also acknowledging that this man was like no other. That leads me to the second observation. He was a different kind of king. I've already noted that earlier that he came riding in on a donkey. I mean, think about it. Who, who, who wants to be noticed with the unnoticeable? We're driving where we live. There is a, 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 a landowner who's maintained just a small farm. And, I, and it just, we drive by there often, but it was just the other day that I recognized that he had some donkeys out there. Before I've noticed the cows, the big bull out there, I noticed him. I noticed the horse and how mangy and how feeble it looks. But had missed the fact that not only does he have a donkey, he has four or five of them. So easily looked over or looked past, and yet this is how this king, this different kind of king, came in to his moment of truth. Why is this important? Because he is not so aloof that he cannot be touched with even the affirmity of you and I who others may not recognize or appreciate, but he identifies with. See, I, if I look back over my life, I realize that didn't come from much. My father had a ninth grade education. My mother had a sixth grade education. They were just glad if I just got a good C. Long as I didn't get kicked out of school, they were happy that I was making it through. So when I think about what it means to have a God who you don't have to already have it figured out, you don't already have to have connections and means that he still has a desire just for you. When Donnie McClurkin said, Jesus came and did it just for me, he was speaking directly to me. He was speaking directly to you that he came because he knew you needed him. Because he knew you needed him. He knew that I needed him. So don't you kind of like a king that can relate to everybody? He was a different kind of king because he was a humble king. The kind that came and even as he would do great things, he would say, don't tell nobody. When you go back and you look historically, you find that many of the kings wanted to build monuments to themselves. They wanted for people to bow down to statues. They wanted for people to, to learn creeds that included them as Lord. But this king came in humbly, riding on a donkey. 
Matthew chapter 21, verse 5 says, Tell the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a coat, a foal of a donkey. So we see here that not only did he come in on a donkey, but he came on, on a, a young one. He didn't even go get the biggest, baddest one. He just got just one, a baby one. Because here we see his humility because he says, everything you hear me saying is what my father said to do. Everything you see me doing is what my father's taught me to do. Because what he was doing was laying down the track for you and I that we would understand what it means to really commit ourselves or surrender ourselves and allow God to lead us because it's in that moment where we recognize that, hey, he even as king was submitted. And surely we can see his submission as he's in the Garden of, Eden, Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup Pass. This is important because we've all been in that place before where we knew that something we wanted to do didn't align with what God was telling us to do. Anybody in here can say, I've been there five times this week, Pastor, I've been there. <laughs> was there this morning. Me and my wife had words and the Lord was telling me to be quiet, but I had to get my last word in. But he shows us that even when it's intense, the Bible speaks about as he's praying in the garden that the droplets of blood, droplets of sweat were like blood. But even in such an intense moment, he says, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In this, in, in this Matthew gospel, when he quotes this, he's actually bringing together lines from two specific scriptures. One, he brings together from Isaiah 62, verse 11, and then from Zechariah chapter 9, and verse 9, in Isaiah 62, 11, it says, Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. That's Isaiah's word. Then in Zechariah verse nine, chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey and a coat, a foal of a donkey. So we see Matthew is actually quoting from two different places, bringing it together, understanding that it all came together in Christ Jesus. This humble king. But I want you to hear what the New Living Translation says. Matthew chapter 11 and 28 and 29, it says, Then Jesus came, then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Here's how this king comes. He comes, and he's humbling himself down, but he's also saying, 
if you embrace me as your king, I come to give you something rather than taking something from you. Because he came bearing gifts, not seeking them. Oftentimes, when you look back historically, in order to get an audience for the king, you had to bring something. Now, I know in some, some cases, we've kind of distorted that in the churches. They, you know, to get a blessing. I was just, just looking at something the other day that you can, you can, you can learn how to pray for $1,500. <laughs> to the, come to the prayer conference. We'll teach you how to pray for, 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 for one low price of $1,500. But this king came not looking to get things. He came to bring something. Other kings before him had expected lavish gifts to get into his favor. He simply wants you to just give yourself. To come into his favor, he simply says, just believe and accept me and offer yourself to me. He came bearing lavish gifts of mercy. He came bearing lavish gifts of love. He came bearing lavish gifts of hope. He came bearing lavish gifts of peace that surpasses all understanding and peace with God. He came bearing salvation and he came bearing the opportunity to receive the precious gift of the Holy Spirit in you. A different kind of king. Not looking for something, but trying to bring something to you. The third observation for today is that, that he, uh, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Every king that would, would reign would reign with fear of somebody coming in and taking them over. So one of the ways that they would go about doing business would be to try to suppress Every and anyone that could be a threat. They would come into an area and try to ravish it and take away its resources to minimize the opportunity for someone to rise up in tyranny. But Jesus was not concerned about whether or not his kingdom would reign Forever, because he already knew that it would rain. For he wasn't fearful about that, because here's what we see in the Word of God. It says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. In Psalm 145 and verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion do endures throughout every generation. He came to reign, but he came to reign. Forever. Oftentimes, around this time of year, we sing, He reigns forever. He reigns forever and evermore. Because He was a king with an everlasting reign. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Verse 11 says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
this sense of coming in as a humble king, but yet he would reign forevermore. Why is this important to us? Because when things seem to be falling apart, when it seems like the floor of your life has dropped out, when it seems like the weight of the world is on your shoulder, being reminded that no matter what comes in your life, comes what may, no matter how high or how low you get, no matter what's going on, that the one sitting on the throne will still be the one you put your faith in. Because sometimes as we walk with Jesus for a while, we start to become uneasy. Because we think because of our longevity with him that we won't have anything happen in our lives. One of the sadder moments in my pastoring is that dear brother that was a part of it had been faithful. His body in the latter years had begun to let, let him down. And he was there in the hospital and I, as I was visiting with him, I, I felt compelled to ask him. I said, brother, you still believe Jesus loves you? He says, I just keep asking, why? After pausing for a minute, I said, brother, do you still love Jesus? He said, pastor, I just keep asking, why? He said, I've been running with Jesus a long time. And I just don't understand why I am going through all of this. And my relative who's been running the streets still seems to be doing better than me. But here's what you have to always remember. That no matter what you face, here's what your king says. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadows of death. Do not fear because I am with you. So I encouraged his heart. I said, brother, listen, we can't explain why we have difficult times. But one thing we do know without explanation is that we have a savior who no matter where we are, he is there with us, keeping us. I was blessed with the jacket a couple days later. I went back to visit. He was standing up right. He said, yes, I'm glad. I, I can't wait to get back to singing the choir. I said, praise be to God because the king still reigns even when it seems like all else has failed. Having an everlasting kingdom means he still sits on the throne no matter what we go through. So it's important to understand because oftentimes we see kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And those that have, that have uh, misinterpreted scripture have oftentimes suggested that there's two differences. It's all one. Used interchangeably, both are synonymous. When you look at in the gospel, you'll find uh, that Mark and Luke use kingdom of God whereas Matthew uses kingdom of heaven, and they use this in parallel, parallel accounts. So they're talking about the same account, 
But in one case, one may say kingdom of heaven, one may say kingdom of God. It's just one. There's just one kingdom. And he reigns. Amen? Amen. Now, when we think about this as our final observation, I want you to take this into account. Because the fourth observation today is that Jesus was coming in for his kingly coronation. If you've been watching the news, you know that uh, upcoming, I think it's next month, the King of England will be coronated. A special ceremony. They've been planning for months to prepare for this day. And so ultimately all the fanfare that goes along with it will be intended to make it memorable that this is when the king entered in and sat on the throne. Let's look at verse 37 and 38 again now. Then as he was now drawing near the, the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So a coronation by definition is a ceremonial ritual that is intended to crown the monarchy. Crown the monarchy. So when we think about what's going to happen next month in England is that there's going to be a lot of fanfare and people will line the streets in order to just get a glimpse of the king as he processes in to take the throne. See how what we see in the shouts of Hosanna and all of the praising that's going on, that is essentially the parade for Jesus coming in for his coronation. Because see, what happens after we, this will actually come on the other end, but, but, but after he'd rolled in on a donkey and he was whipped all night long, after he was suffered for the, had suffered for the sins of the world, he said, it is finished. And then he died. But it didn't end in the grave. Because here is something on the other side of his death that Jesus does. He stands up as he's talking to his disciples, he's been walking with them for, for some time and he's getting ready to ascend back to the Father, he actually declares himself king. Look at Matthew 28 and 18. I want you to see this because he says, this is, this, we use this oftentimes as our means of evangelism. The Great Commission. But look what he says. He says, Jesus, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. After having come in and suffered on the cross, died for the sins of the world and rose from the grave, he was crowned king. 
with all authority. The blessing that we have is that this king is not just any old king. And he's not just some old king. And he's not just another king. He is the king who saves. And he came with that expressed intent. When Pilate says, are you a king? He says, for this very reason was I born to bear witness to the truth. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.